David, all he can see when he thinks about his origins is God. God, you made my inner being. You made my personality. You made my temperament. You made the way I think. You made the way I am. And God, you made my body. When I was just this little embryo, you started weaving me to be together. Don't you love that? That poetic image. God weaved him. God put his hands on him. God, God spent time with him. God purposed him. God loved him. All he can think about is this. He comes from God. And when he thinks about that, that he is God's masterpiece, he erupts in praise and he says, I praise you, Lord, because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Psalm 139, I want to read it to you and just sink into this poetry here as I read it to you. Here's what David says in David. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. Such wonderful knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the, in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. 
Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me, lead me in the way everlasting. This is God's word. The man in the image He's got one of those military faces, black, glistening hair, perfectly cut mustache. The image is on a poster. If you look at his eyes, he stares into you, scrutinizing you, your every move. Above the image of this military-looking man, is this line with an exclamation point behind it. It says, Big Brother is watching you. Famously, George Orwell writes this book called 1984, where the citizens of Oceania live in this surveillance state. They're constantly being watched, monitored, surveilled, known, searched. George Orwell writes about this dystopia that that would be, and today it's become a book that's so important, so valuable, that it's entered the American lexicon, so that today we even have a show called Big Brother. You're watched, you're known, big tech, big government. kind of dropping you into this idea, David does the same thing. George Orwell can't imagine a place where there would this, this would be anything other than horrible, that you would be known, that you would be searched, that you would be surveilled. That's what makes it different. What makes it the same is that David knows he lives constantly in that state. He is known. He is searched. He is scrutinized. What do we do with that? If those of you who are here listen to this word from God and you don't harden your hearts, you will know what to do. David brings you to the first spiritual place that he wants to bring you as we contemplate this searching presence of God. He wants to bring you to a place of awe. He says, Lord, you search me. You know me. Lord, it's like this. 
Lord, you know when I sit. Lord, you know when I get up. Lord, you know my thoughts from afar. Lord, you can, be a, you, you can read me like a book from a, from a million miles away. You don't even have to be close to me. Lord, you know me that well. Lord, you know me so well that every word that comes off my tongue, you know it completely. You know not just what I'm going to say, you also know how I'm going to say it, and you also know why I'm going to say it. Lord, you know everything about me. Lord, I'm starting to feel a little claustrophobic about this. I don't know about this. Lord, you're hemming me in. In fact, Lord, I got some questions for you, David says. Where can I go? If I want to get away, where can I go? Where can I go? God, where can I go? How can I get away from the searching presence? Of, how, how can I flee from your spirit? Where can I go? Can I, can I, Lord, can I go up to the sky? Nope, can't go up to the sky. You're in heaven. Can I go down to Sheol? Can I go down to where the dead people are in hell? Can I go down, can I go down there? Nope, I can't go. To, you're already there. Lord, what if, Lord, consider this. What if I got on the, the wings of the dawn? You know, the first rays of light when the sun is coming out. They go so fast, it just springs across the fly, sky. What if I got on the wings of the dawn? I fly faster than Delta can take you, and I go all the way to the west. What if I go to the west? What if I got over the ocean and I get there? What if I get there? What if I get where the darkness always is? It's not going to work either, David says, because the darkness is as light to you. This this is David's poetic reflection. You can't run. You can't hide from God's all-seeing, all-knowing presence. Let me ask you something. If, if you honestly believed that you would have known like that, how would you feel? My wife's got a friend, and she was having this conversation with her. They were talking about some product. Anyway, this friend goes home, she gets out her cell phone, pops it open, and the cell phone shows her the product that they had just been talking about. How do you think she felt about that? She goes on her phone, sure enough, checks the settings, and the phone had a setting that allowed the phone to listen. She turned that baby off. How would we feel if we honestly thought we were known like this? I'm trying to get us past a couple things, like even we Christians, we can live like practical atheists. There are some things we're not going to do in church because we know we're in God's presence, but then we leave and we forget and we're out there in the world and we forget. Everywhere is church. Because God is everywhere. And it is in Him that we live and that we breathe and that we have our being, as the poet says. 
Sometimes we forget we become practical atheists even though we're Christians. And sometimes we as Christians, we simplify this a little bit too much. We get simplistic about it. Like there's a Christian group called Mercy Me. They sing a song. What they do is they quote the opening words of this psalm. They quote it verbatim. This is who you are, God. This is how much you know me. And then all of a sudden what this song does is it reflects on that. And their only reflection is really quite simplistic. They say, yay God, you know me really well. And they sing a new song. And they're only happy about it. David's not happy yet. He's going to get there. He's not happy yet. He didn't say, oh God, I'm so happy. I feel so loved and so protected right now. That's not what he said. He said, Lord, this feels claustrophobic. He didn't say, oh man, I got it warm and fuzzy. That's all I feel about this right now. That's not what he said. He said, Lord, can I escape somehow? David is leading us to a place of awe. And awe can be awful. It's not just one thing, it's two things. Awe can also be awful. You think about it. God knows you. Inside and out. You can't run and you cannot hide. That is awesome. And you're starting to get a grasp on that when you understand that that, 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 that can also be awful. I, I remember when I was at the seminary, I had a professor who really broke this open for me. His name was Dr. Rich Gurgle. And he said, this is what we're talking about today, guys. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about God's attributes. He's omniscient and he is omnipresent. He knows everything and he's everywhere. We're talking about God's attributes. He said, do you realize this? He said, God's attributes are at the same time perfectly comforting and they are also at the same time perfectly horrific. He's right. It is so comforting to think that you can't go anywhere, that God isn't already there. Also, it means you can't ever lock the door. It is so comforting that he knows exactly what you need before you even know that you need it because he knows you that well. It's also horrific that he can see in your soul better than one of those airport scanners and see you. David leads you to a place of all. You know that you're getting there. You know that you're getting there. You know that you're contemplating it when you realize that awe can also be awful. This is the first place that David takes you to in the psalm. But then he rises. First he takes you to a place of awe and then he takes you to a place of praise. 
See, what, what David is doing is he's pushing the limits. He's trying to understand what his limits are with God. And what he's coming to understand is that God encompasses all of his being. And so what David does next is he pushes the limits one more time. He pushes his limit all the way back to his origin, all the way back to where he comes from. And he starts thinking about his own limit. Where does he come from? And, he, and I'll just make a couple observations about it. He, he doesn't mention Jesse. He doesn't talk about his daddy at all. There's nothing here about the birds and the bees, nothing. His mom comes in, makes a brief flash appearance. His mom comes in. She makes an appearance only as a holy vessel. David, all he can see when he thinks about his origins is God. God, you made my inner being. You made my personality, you made my temperament, you made the way I think, you made the way I am. And God, you made my body. When I was just this little embryo, you started weaving me to be together. Don't you love that? That poetic image? God weaved him. God put his hands on him. God, God spent time with him. God purposed him. God loved him. All he can think about is this. He comes from God. And when he thinks about that, that he is God's masterpiece, he erupts in praise and he says, I praise you, Lord, because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. There's so much I want to talk about here. So many little miracles, like... I'd love to help you reflect on human consciousness. Do you know that nobody knows what it is? Nobody knows what human consciousness is. It's a mystery. Nobody knows what it is. God made it. Your soul. I'd, I'd, I'd love to help you think about how incredible it is to be to be human. Sometimes I bristle, I'll be honest. People talk about human reproduction. There's no such thing. Nobody makes humans. We don't. What happened was there was... There, there wasn't you, and then there was you, and there'll never be anybody like you again. We don't roll off an assembly line. That's why there's this whole industry for human infertility that's worth probably billions of dollars. Because we can't make humans. We can only receive them as gifts. There's no such thing as human production. What there, reproduction, what there is is procreation. God makes humans. Don't you want to celebrate that for a second? How many different personalities are in, there in this room? How many different physical gifts and spiritual gifts and willing gifts? And How many different kinds of humans are here? It's so, so cliche, right? Wish I could make the metaphor new. Maybe I'll try. 
here I am, I'm this little human, I'm still myself, even though I'm a little boy. And so I'd go down a sledding hill in the great frozen north, I'd come over and i flip over on my sled and i look up and i see the snow coming down. And because I was me back then, what I'd do is I'd stick out my tongue and the, and the snowflakes would land there. And then sometimes, if I wasn't doing that, then I'd stick out my mitten. And I'd watch the flakes land. And I'd look at them. Each one, perfect. Each one, a different frozen pattern. Each one, a snowflake. Don't you see it? This is so healing. I, I, wish, I wish I had more time for all that. What I really want to push on is this. Where do you come from? No, I mean it. Where do you come from? Where do you come from? What's your origin? David's not doing the birds and the bees here. Oh, no. He's not doing the birds and the bees here. There's no Jesse at all. His mom makes a brief stage. It's just a holy vessel. Where do you come from? You come from God. Doesn't that matter? You know, maybe your parents told you your story. Maybe they didn't. Maybe it was sort of implied. They never really talked about it. I know where you come from. You came and then mom and dad got married. You were a surprise. We prayed for you. We all have these different biological and human stories. Get past it. Where do you come from? You come from God. Isn't that healing? You come from God. You were listening to this psalm. You heard this psalm. What did he say? He said, he said, you, you knit me together in the depths of the earth. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that's primitive. You know, it's an ancient man. It's primitive. He didn't really know how the birds and the bees. He doesn't know where babies come from. That's primitive. If you think that, you're wrong. You know what David is saying? He's taking you back all the way to the first creation story. He's saying in the same way that God took Adam from the dust of the earth and he formed him. He formed you. And no less of a miracle in the way that he takes Adam, he blows into him. It's the same way that you were knit together in your mother's womb. You, you, you are a miracle like Adam. You come from God. Does that bring you to a place of praise yet? It's got to push that into your heart. You don't have to become anything. You know why? You already are something. God's masterpiece. You don't, you don't, you don't have to try and get... Become something in the world you already are. You're God's created child. Purpose, right? You're an accident. No, you're not. 
God made you to fill a hole in the universe that nobody else can. Does that bring you to praise? What does that do to your self-recrimination? I don't like myself. Stop it. God made you. What does that do to your self-loathing? I wish it was somebody else. Stop it. God didn't want you to be somebody else. I remember when I was preaching a sermon like this a few years ago, there was an enormous reaction to it. I said, God made you and God doesn't make junk and somehow that got into people's hearts. God put his hands on you. He crafted you. He purposed you. He loves you. He made you. a writer, a guy by the name of George MacDonald. He wrote this. He said, I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been thought of, born in God's thought, and then made by God, is the dearest grandest and most precious thing in all thinking. I praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David takes you to the second place, what it means to live totally in the presence of God. And then he turns his last corner. And he prays his last prayer. And when he prays is this, God, shepherd me. Shepherd me to everlasting life. That's what he prays. Now, admittedly, it doesn't at first sound like it. Did you catch that in the psalm? He prays, God, if only you would slay the wicked, kill him. <laughs> He says, if you think it's a slip of his pen, he says, God, I consider them my enemies. In fact, you search my heart, God, you know it. I hate them. <laughs> I hate them with all, there's nothing in my heart but hate. That's what he said. So it doesn't sound like it, not at first. But what he's praying is this, God, shepherd me to everlasting life. Now, I suppose I should probably pad that prayer a little bit for you. These things can be kind of shocking and offensive, like, oh, I don't know if I should be praying that prayer. <laughs> Woo! Go at it like this. This is God's Word. Therefore, it's profitable for us. Somehow it's profitable for us. We might have to work at it a little bit, but it's profitable. It's good for us. In fact, I tell you this, that... The things in the Word of God that most challenges us, the things that seem offensive to us, are probably the things that we need to learn from the most. I can also tell you this. I can t tell you that David isn't praying here a prayer of personal vengeance. He doesn't say, God, get my enemies. He says, God, get yours. It's different. 
Also, I could point out to you this, that there are, every human being has things that they are for and things that they are against. And therefore, are, there are also things that human beings love and human beings hate. And all of us have those things. And Christians have those things. That's what makes us Christians. Like we hate sin and we hate death and we hate the devil and we love God and we love his word and we, and we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. None of this is in contradiction to this psalm. So now I've padded it just a little bit to get you here. Do you realize what David is praying? He's saying, God, I'm on your side. That's what he's saying. He's drawing a line in the sand. And he's realizing there's people over here that are against God. And he's saying, God, I'm on your side. I'm not on. I'm on your side, God. I'm on your side. And do you know why he's praying that? Because he's getting it. There's no life apart from God. There isn't. And David understands sin. In fact, I would point this out. The extent to which that we are nervous about this prayer is probably the extent to which we don't realize how offensive sin is to God. He's saying, God, I'm on your side. But then he doesn't stop there. He keeps praying because he knows that there's evil still in him too. And what he prays is this. God, search me. God, know me. And now we've come full circle. Do you see it? Do you see it? We've come full circle. He starts out in the psalm and he says, Lord, you search me and Lord, you know me. And he's a little bit nervous about that. And then he gets to the end of the psalm and now he asks for it. Now he invites it. God, search me. God, know me. God, test me. Make me like a piece of metal. Put me in the fire, God. Purify me. Lead me in the ways that aren't offensive to you so that I can spend eternity with you. That's David's prayer. A great psalm scholar, Dr. James Mays, put it like this. David prays this. That God would be his judge to be his shepherd. Isn't that beautiful? God, examine me. God, scrutinize me. God, judge me. So that you might bring me to eternity. He asked for God to judge him to be his shepherd. Isn't that a prayer of faith? He trusts him. He invites him in. Don't you see the progression of the psalm? The psalm, David comes in and David says, God, you know everything about me and I'm a little bit nervous about it. But, but now, God, I see that I exist in you. You made me. You created me. You purposed me. And therefore, God, you don't just want to throw me away. God, you actually want to redeem me. You want to purify me. You want to sanctify me. God, be my judge to be my shepherd. This is David's prayer. I want to say this to you about it. Do you realize that 
God answered it. He did. God judged David, incapable of saving himself. God looked into you and he judged you, incapable of saving yourself. But he didn't judge you to judge you. He judged you to shepherd you. And that's why he sent you David's greater son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He was the one being from all eternity that God could search and that God could know, that God could see inside and out and that God had nothing to see that he wouldn't love. There was nothing in Jesus that had to be hidden. He didn't hide because he didn't have to and he didn't run. Oh, people tempted him to do it. Satan tempted him to run. Peter tempted him to run. He didn't hide and he didn't run. What he did is he took his perfect life to the cross where God looked at it. And instead of looking at him, he looked at us with all of our sin and God judged him. God judged him so that he died. So that when God looks at you, He doesn't see anything else except what he made you to be originally. He sees everything about you now except your sin. He sees everything about you now except your guilt. And consider this. There's no place that you can hide from his grace. And there's no place that you can run from his love. Because God has given you his son, Jesus. So that you can pray. So that not only now do you live totally in the presence of God, you can invite it. Would you pray with me now? Oh God, search me. Know my anxious thoughts. Test me and see if there's anything offensive in me. And lead me today in the way everlasting.